Hi, this is Dad Stories, and I'm your dad, Tom Nudla. Hi, Dad. I'm your adult, non-binary child, Eden Noodla, and this is a multi-generational podcast where we tell each other stories from our childhood. Yeah, well, I'm an older guy. I try to stay abreast of social media and follow some of the more active conversations amongst my peers, and, and I see uh, the posts contain a lot of comparison between kid life today and how things were when I was a kid. At any rate, I thought it would be interesting to compare and contrast how I remember growing up versus how you remember growing up. Maybe we can highlight some similarities and differences. At a minimum, I suspect I'll learn some things from you that I didn't know before, and perhaps you will too. I wrote some stories about my youth to share with you, and you can share some of your stories with me, and then we'll see where it takes us. I love it. I'm ready. What What did you bring for me today? Well, today I've got a story about my new boat. When I was probably in the fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, my grandparents came to visit us, and they brought with them a gift for me. It was a bow. It actually wasn't brand new. It was used. It was yellow, but it was definitely a good bow. It wasn't one of those bows like we used to get at the the gift store that had little uh, suction cup arrows and could shoot an arrow maybe 10 feet. This was a legitimate Mm -hmm. bow. um, For killing. Uh, not not quite that strong, not quite that strong, but it was for target practice. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I got this bow, and of course I was very proud of it, and I was showing it to all my friends, and it didn't take too long for everybody to also want a bow. But uh, money was always an issue for us kids, so it turns out everybody said, well, let's just make our bows. Before you knew it, all my buddies had bows made out of tree branches and kite string. Of course, we didn't have arrows, so we went out to a field that was very close to our house that was full of Queen Anne's lace. And Queen Anne's mm-hmm. lace is a weed that grows maybe three foot tall, but it has long, straight yeah. stalks. Very arrowable. Yes, exactly. So we got our Queen Anne's lace, and we got the long and straight ones, and we peeled off all of the leaves and the flower at the top, and we made long, straight shafts. You know, when I say long, foot, two foot long. We had to make a decision, you know, how complicated were these arrows going to be? I mean, did we, we were going to have arrowheads, going to have feathers, nothing. We did none of that. We just <laughs> wanted a shaft because like a hammer needs a nail, we wanted to go find something to shoot. <laughs> oh, dear. So uh, we had a, a, a kid down the street, uh, Dean Birkins. And Dean was one of those friends that we only had in the summer. He was a few years older than we were. We didn't really hang out with him during the school year, but you know, in the summertime when things get boring, you gotta raise and lower your standards to uh, get have some <laughs> entertainment. So Dean Dean lowered his standards and hung out with us. And and when we were talking about <laughs> what we were gonna do, he had an idea. Dean came up from a family with a lot of sisters. He was the only boy, and he had gotten into a fight with his sisters, and they had ganged up on him. And he didn't like it. He got real mad, and he wanted revenge. So Dean said he'd like us to shoot his sisters. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. So we immediately began to plan our attack, uh, and we had a good plan. And Dean's house was, was just uh, like four or five lots down from mine, but behind our houses was a wooded swamp, you know, a combination of woods and swampland. There was an open area. That was directly behind Dean's house. And around that open area, there were trees and bushes and things like that. And the plan was that Dean would convince his sisters to come join him in the woods in this little 
open area and we'd hide behind the trees and the bushes and when Dean gave us a signal we'd shoot into the group of sisters and hope we hit them. <laughs> it was a flawless plan and we were proud of it so we set about executing the ambush. We had set up a rendezvous point. We all gathered at this rendezvous point which is only a couple hundred foot down a path from the ambush site and Dean took off to go get his sisters. And while they did that, we found our places to hide, you know, behind these trees and bushes. And, and I found a great spot. I was hidden so well, there was no way anybody was going to see me. Problem was, I also couldn't see where I was shooting. I was reaching out <laughs> beside the bush to shoot. When we, we got into our places and Dean brought his sisters down there, he gave us a signal. And we all shot, and we heard the girls screaming, and then we saw them all ran away, and we ran back to our rendezvous point <laughs> to celebrate. The ambush was a tremendous success. Um, <laughs> you know, from well our pers- from our perspective, right? <laughs> but it wasn't long before Dean's biggest sister came back down to the edge of the woods, and she didn't dare venture out where we were at, but she could hear us talking, and we could hear her. And she yelled at us. Uh, Dean's littlest sister, Janie, who was about five, had been shot, and she was hurt and bleeding bad. I mean, this is what she oh, was no. yelling at us. Yeah, and Dean's, she said Dean's mom wanted to see him right away, and Dean left. And bottom line was we didn't see him again for the rest of the summer. And the <laughs> last thing she said was she wanted to see the boy who shot Janie, and she was going to be coming down to talk to him in a few minutes. Then she ran away. So we were all sitting there, and now we were no longer really celebrating our success. No. Uh, we talked. Nobody knew who shot Janie. And the thing was is that, I mean, Janie was five. Nobody wanted to shoot her. I mean, she wasn't part of the discussion. She wasn't part of the plan. So, you know, we felt bad. So we went back to the ambush site to try to figure out what happened. And we looked around the site to see whose arrows were close to where the girls were standing. At first, we couldn't find any arrows. And we started to search a little bit far and wide, and we couldn't find the arrows anywhere close to where the girls were standing. They were stuck in bush branches. They never reached, cleared a tree. I mean, nobody's nobody's bows were strong enough to shoot an arrow that far, except for one. Yeah. And everybody knew it. And... uh we went back to the rendezvous area, and when Mrs. Birkins showed up at the edge of the woods, you know, I went out to meet her. You know, I said goodbye to my buddies, and I made a slow, painful walk while those guys stayed back. And uh, there was Mrs. Birkins. She had Janie with her, and she asked me, you know, did you shoot Janie? I had. Uh, she showed me the wound. It was a, a red mark on her belly. Uh, no skin was broken, no blood, no Band-Aid. So, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, I guess Dean's older sister was kind of exaggerating what really happened. It didn't minimize the point, but at least I had a moment of relief. Uh, but then Mrs. Birkins proceeded to talk to me and she looked at me and she said, bows are dangerous. There was no anger in her voice. She said, my arrow could have poked an eye out. She didn't raise her voice at me. She said, you should never aim a weapon at another person. You know, and she looked me right in the eye. It was a very firm and, and serious, but not angry conversation. She said, I'd like you to say sorry to Janie. I said, I'm very sorry, Janie. And Janie looked at me and she was like, that's okay. 
Oh. And uh, Mrs. Birkin said, don't ever let this happen again. And I said, I won't. Uh, and then we were done. I would have to say that's the most effective chewing out yeah. I've ever received. Um, I, walked, I walked back through the swamp to the meeting point. Everybody was gone. All that was left was most of the homemade bows that were left there. Some were, were broken in half. Uh, so I continued to work my way home, walked through the swamp by myself. I got back to my house and uh, went into the garage, our garage, and I put the bow in a place where I couldn't see it, and I never shot it again. And that's the story of my new bow. Whoa. What do you think? I think this story reminds me maybe the most about the kind of dad you were. Because I also, like, this, the very stern level chewing out feels very true. Like, I, I, I can't think of any, maybe I'll think of some examples, but I I feel like um, Mrs. Birkins had a deep effect yeah. on you um, with regards to not only the you know way way of effectively talking to a child who's messed up, but also a valuable lesson about weapons. That uh, we I mean I didn't we didn't grow up with a lot of weapons. Like I think we only ever had like maybe one even Nerf gun. The idea of like pointing a weapon at someone even. A slingshot kind of projecting anything at anyone feels like something that as a kid I wasn't doing a lot. Now, I still ended up accidentally hurting my brother Bobby once or once or twice. Right. right. Some hospital visits, but definitely um, I feel two things very strongly in this of not pointing a weapon at someone as a strong value system that I grew up with. And then also uh, how you treated us when we really forked up. You know, that's up. interesting. I, I never thought about that. So I probably did learn quite a bit about how to effectively talk to somebody who had disappointed you without screaming. Although I, I probably, I know I've I screamed a few times. Um, but yeah. yeah, maybe I did get that lesson from that experience. That's, um, that's an, a good observation. Um, and the shooting, yeah. the shooting thing—that's that's interesting. You, you've expanded upon that. That made me think. Do you remember shooting the BB gun? Yeah, that was actually one of the the story that I was going to bring today. I was thinking about because I knew we were going to be talking about shooting shooting arrows. Was I wanted to talk about the biathlon uh-huh. um, or the biathlons that we used to do up north? Because you're right, we did grow up at our my grandparents, your parents shared cottage up north we had that bb gun and we would shoot targets always supervised in fact you would always cock the gun or uh, load it cock cock mm-hmm. and uh, load both you would yep. do both of those things <laughs> um and which as much as like, you know, I remember us being quite young when we were doing this, but that it was it was a little bit awkward and took some strength right. that maybe we didn't have right. at the time. Right. Um, but also, I imagine it was a, as a measure of safety. And I have incredible memories because what we would do during the winters is we would race as a family on our cross country skis. I know you would like you remember this. We'd put on our cross country skis and race and we would go up and down old danish landing road get back and then 
deep breath, calm, and shoot at our paper plate targets in the woods. And I, I have this memory because I remember we were quite young. I remember throughout elementary school, we maybe maybe a handful of times in middle school and high school, but there is always this moment right at the end of Danish Landing where like I couldn't see any of the family couldn't hear you guys and so it was just me and the woods and the cold and my skis and I would just like I I would feel wild and then turn around come back and all of a sudden like you have to totally calm down you have to stop the heavy breathing and get the like laser focus that you yeah. need to shoot a target now I also, I wanted to remember, because I, you know, we all came with very different skill sets as our um, age and various strengths allotted were allotted to us. I remember that we had some scoring system where you, where we were basically racing against ourselves, but then based on that, the difference um, of how much we improved, that is how we decided who was the winner. And I remember right. Bobby sandbagging (laughs) what do you remember from that I remember both of you sandbagging (laughs) never never in my life (laughs) but your description was very was very good that makes me feel good because to talk about regaining you know like being being somewhat exhausted and out of breath and then having to regain control of your body including your breathing to do something very that you perform best when you're very calm and settled like trying to shoot a target is that's that was the biathlon that was one of the experiences we wanted to have because you know from a from one perspective it's like you know learning gun safety was a big deal you know and and to know you know that that you always point that weapon up and down you know the range and you you know can't just pull the trigger wildly, you need to have it under control were some of the things that we did we did talk about that was kind of embedded. We didn't we didn't obviously overemphasize it, but but I'm I'm happy to hear that you kind of picked up on some of that stuff because it was supposed to be kind of fun too. <laughs> so. I remember it being fun. I, I yeah I think we because we did it a couple of years. Yeah? Oh yeah 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 we called mm-hmm. it the uh, Noodle of Biathlon Championship of the World. Yes. Yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) So um, kind of getting back to, I want to come back to the BB gun in a second, but before we do, I wanted to ask you, because I don't have a recollection here, but did, did you, did we ever do archery? Did you ever go to a a range or anything like that and actually shoot a bow? Yeah, several times. Um, I'm actually usually one of the best. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I have only done it maybe definitely under 10 times and it has always been like in the context of a scout camp or um I, I mean I think I went once with um the with Bob's with Bobby's Boy Scout troop and then I did it I re- actually recently shot a bow at um a corporate retreat they were doing archery practice so oh, uh, wow yeah and I Shot the target. My actually, one of the interesting things. I'm usually right-handed, but whenever I pick up a bow, I always go to shoot lefty. Huh. My latent ambidextry coming out in my uh, archery. Okay, good. Because I was afraid that my the experience I just described would have 
prevented us from doing that, but 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 you were able to do that through the scouts and mm-hmm. at least have the experience for for better or worse. I um, actually have some latent adult desire to try that again and see what it's like because uh, I didn't. Um, Kind of like the model rocketry story. I don't really think I ended my archery experience on a good note. Yeah, I think the similarities are uncanny. It's like, and then I never did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I wanted to go back to shooting again uh, because, you you know, the the new Leviathan Championship of the World did require, like, physical fitness and and actually some kind of harassment, right? Because you got to, you know, ski and go long distance. But do you recall... A pumpkin contest in school, and then mm. after, for for Halloween, and then after school, we'd take those pumpkins up to the cottage, and we would use them for target practice. Do you remember any of those? Um, I'm my memories are cans, but I also definitely can see us doing that, and that's a ton of fun because that was at our elementary school, and we would. Um, the idea was that you would paint or decorate a pumpkin to look like your favorite. Um, children's book character and then it was you know a big competition they display all of them in the library and so I'm getting a kick out of the idea of like shooting up Madeline um, or a a Berenstein bear (laughs) yeah Uh, do you remember the Harry Potter pumpkin incident oh no what's the Harry Potter pumpkin incident so one of you created a Harry Potter pumpkin mm. and it was it was just there was no carving right it was just uh, um, like felt pens and mm-hmm. stuff artwork on the side of a pumpkin mm-hmm. and we took it up north and um, set it up on the log and we were you know taking target practice and somebody um, hit uh, the Harry Potter pumpkin right below the like the round rim of the glass mm-hmm. the glasses you know we would all shoot and then we'd go look to see where we hit mm-hmm. it. When we went to look at the Harry Potter pumpkin, uh, where whoever's BB hit Harry just below the eye, the serum from the pumpkin had oozed out oh. and dripped down the, the cheek <laughs> of the pumpkin, very distinctly making it look like the Harry Potter pumpkin was crying. Uh-huh. Oh, poor Harry. You don't remember I, this? I have vague memories of this, but it sounds so such a beautiful vignette of taking these <laughs> yeah. BB shots at, at Harry and hasn't that boy gotten enough abuse <laughs> <laughs> well we were all mildly traumatized by the Harry Pumpkin Potter crying that that actually ended our uh, fun and games with shooting the pumpkins uh, after the Halloween contest oh. now it also helped that I think you had moved on to middle school mm-hmm. after that, and so we weren't presented with the dilemma. But we were presented with a new thing that you were actually pretty good at, which was zombie hunting. What? Do you remember that? No. Oh. So we would be out on we'd be out on the deck, and we'd set up a bunch of of targets like cans and paper plates and stuff, mm-hmm. as if. Um, and they represented zombies that were attacking us at the cottage. <laughs> and then you would have to actually shoot and move to different shooting positions oh, and try to take out all of the targets. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Do you remember that? Some, like, low-key apocalypse training. I'm sure that didn't mess me up at all. That sounds like so much fun. Oh, my gosh. 
Uh, <laughs> even once again, the idea was you had to stay safe, so you had to keep the. And th- by this by this age, you were able to cock and shoot mm-hmm. uh, the gun, and the fact that you had to move to a different shooting position, like on your knee or take three steps to the right mm-hmm. to get the one coming around the corner, and that kind of stuff, was kind of representative of the same thing with the biathlon. About you can't just wildly pull your trigger and shoot and expect to hit targets you had to control your breathing but but do it under the under the effect that you were saving your family from the zombies that were attacking us on the deck of the cottage um that's interesting um something that i've been thinking about like with this is um like you know that this this didn't translate to like wanting to to actual hunting that we never like actually you know, like it was not part of our family to go killing live things, and I'm wondering if that was part of your growing up experience. Because I know, I know in Michigan, like they'll shut down schools for opening day. Yeah, yeah. When I was in elementary school, uh, in middle school, I would go hunting with my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hunted uh, deer, we hunted pheasant, and we hunted partridge. I did. I never had a. I never had a gun. I just went out in the woods in the fields with my grandpa, um, and and all of that time, quick hunting war story coming. But um, I, the only time we ever caught anything was one day we were we were up north and we were driving on, on this dirt road, and uh, all of a sudden he stopped the car, got out, told me to stay in the car, got out, went like sl- a little bit into the woods, and then I heard two shots. And then I saw these two birds flopping in the road in front of us. And he comes back to the car and he hands me a box. He says, go get them. And they were partridge. And so I walked up to these birds, but they were still flopping around. And I was oh. really afraid to pick up the birds. Oh, I didn't no. know what would happen, mm-hmm. right? And eventually he came up and he got them and threw them in the car. But I, 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 as I remember it, that really didn't have an impact on whether or not I continued to hunt or not. I think the biggest driver was is that Papa, my dad, never, he didn't hunt. He hunted as a kid, but he never hunted as an adult. Mm-hmm. So it just didn't translate uh, to me as an interest or anything like that. Although mm, I would say most of my friends growing up were hunters and, you know, went hunting with their dads and stuff like that. But yeah, it was never uh, something that um, stuck for me. Yeah, that's that's kind of the story of how hunting weaned itself from our family multi-generational story yeah good question though that's well it's interesting i was listening to something the other day that was talking about how you know the there are half as many hunters or like half as many licenses that are being handed out because people my age aren't hunting as much and you know and then certainly there's a huge conversation that's been happening in America about um, gun laws, you know, I'm very much of the opinion that we need to, we need restrictions on gun access and ammo access. And I am thinking about like, you know, what is my personal relationship with firearms and that being kind of affected too by your experience um, in the military while I was growing up. And like, I'm curious how that affected how you were engaging with like weapons with me as a kid and also with um 
with like weaponry now. Right. Right. Wow. So we're going to get serious. If you want, we don't um, have to, but I think we have an opportunity to just touch on it briefly. I will tell you this. My experience in the military taught me as much as anything I ever learned about gun safety. And certainly I passed that on. I tried to pass that on to you. I mean, I've worked some of the training ranges. I, you know, we had to fire, you know, every, at least twice a year. And the thing that struck me the most in my whole 22 years in the service was how many times there was an accident at the range, you know, where a gun went off after everybody had been told to cease fire, how a weapon, which was, should be pointing downrange, all of a sudden was pointing the wrong direction. And these folks are being trained. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, safety officers around and still mistakes are being made. So I certainly, I certainly gained a great deal of understanding and respect for gun safety and also for the opportunity for a mistake to occur. And also, I don't have uh, any concerns about hunting, but I certainly know that guns and safety and hunting are all interchangeable. I mean, they're all part of each other. One of the things that always worried me about uh, you is going over to a friend's house. Did you ever see a gun at a friend's house? No. I don't think I've ever seen a gun Ever, with the exception of like on um, military and police um, officers that I've never, I don't think I've ever been around. I had a friend invite me to a shooting range um, the other day and I wasn't going to be in town, but that would, that would be the first time that I've ever been around a gun. So it is also something that like, um, I mean, I'm very af- like afraid. I'm very nervous about um, I mean, I, I see the sort of the effect, like, you know, how people die. <laughs> it can kill you. It's a thing right. that right. is right there. And um, I understand that there's a lot of power that comes with that. I think this I think there's an interesting um, element at play around the us shooting zombies. I know zombies are kind of a, a loaded villain in sci-fi history and this idea of you know, protecting the security of the home is something that is very present on people's minds and coming this idea of also life and death coming into play whenever we're talking about weapons and their destructive potential. So I think this is this is and then you learning at such a young age the the ability to hurt other people. I remember I, I Bobby and I were wrestling and I accidentally cracked uh cracked his head open and i i don't even remember doing this so i would have been you know maybe four or five yeah i remember yeah yeah but this realization of strength as a human being this realization of our ability to hurt others is so powerful and like depending on where you fall on how powerful or powerless you feel our ability to like wield that sort of pain and violent power is real so you're saying with power comes responsibility with power comes responsibility you know i think this i think spider-man was onto something (laughs) um i also wanted to talk about the intersection of this story and gender and sisters and siblings because there's mm-hmm. some real sister hate and um, brother like ganging up on and I 
think that there's probably some rich fertile ground between comparing how you were relating to your sisters because you were also the only boy in a two sister family versus me growing up with um with Bobby right. and how we related right. to each other. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like how you were relating with um girls in general as a as a young person. So I had two sisters. Uh, interestingly enough, my close my uh, close friend Earl, neighbor across the street, also had a boatload of sisters. So uh, it seemed like the neighbors that were very close to me were only boys with lots of sisters. Mm-hmm. We had uh, all of the, I think, natural challenges that brothers and sisters would have, especially uh, in those days where um, uh, things were a lot more specific. I mean, I I grew up. Uh, having to do like mow the lawn, my sisters never had to mow the lawn. But then there were things that they had to do that I never had to do, um, and that that was a, a root access for some uh, conflict. Um, I think though uh, I have several stories in the future that address some of this conversation, not only between me and my sisters, but also in general with some with some of the experiences we had in terms of dealing with some of the conflict and stuff. So I think we're going to be revisiting this uh, conversation on dealing with specifically sisters, and then we can probably expand on that when we talk about uh, issues of gender. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, certainly right off the bat, like using the word like the natural things that come up, it's like, oh, what is what are we what do we mean when we're talking about natural? And so I look forward to it. Yeah, and I would say, yeah, I think you caught me there. I think a historical would probably be a better... Mm-hmm. Um, way of articulating it is how it was historically done, possibly or not possibly natural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are what are some of your thoughts in terms of similarities and differences between our upbringings? Yeah, I mean, certainly first and foremost, I was uh, much more separated from uh, I want to say like violence and and weapons in general, um, but also like the way that we were engaging with it you know, as tools for mental training, maybe. Although, like, in in, in a kind of safe environment versus maybe your experience where it was like, here's a bow, go have fun. And I, it it sounds like you just yes or no me of you didn't have bow safety training. Um, You didn't get bow safety training. Yes, I think that's a good point. Compared Compared to what you got, compared to what you got exposed to based on what I learned in the Army. Yeah, um, def- definitely a big difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the way, I do have a story though about hunting and some bad consequences, um, and I think that'll be an interesting one that that will play nicely after this conversation as the mm-hmm. as a foundation for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to, it and am nervous about that, but I um, I'm sure it will be enlightening. So what do you think, compare and contrast between um, how we're, I think you kind of touched on it. Is there anything anything else that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think once again, um, you had some experiences around uh, these, uh, around using weapons, uh, got, a, got um, a whole lot more adult supervision mm-hmm. than, than I got, you know, not, not by your choice or whatever. But on the other hand, then you also got some more... Uh, creative um, exposure to how weapons can be an enjoyable uh, thing and and help mind and body behavior kind of stuff. And so uh, a tool for positive um, uh, things, I think. 
Um, yeah. That's really about it. No, I mean, even and it, like even as you're saying that, like the idea of calling like weapons enjoyable in any respect, like really makes me bristle. So I, I, I think it's definitely, um, and but you know, at the same time, here's this story about us using BB guns, which on the weapon spectrum is still a weapon. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, not not a very good big one, but mm-hmm. yes, it, it, it was. <laughs> I think you're right. Like engaging with them safely with adult supervision with military grade um safety protocols and i mean still in the context of like childhood fun i never had the desire to go off and on my own so whatever enjoyment i was getting from it i got enough from our from my supervised experience right my safer safer environment cool um well, I, I love the conversation. I, yeah. I think we had different experiences. And this one touched on some uh, pertinent social issues that um, mm-hmm. I think if we if we dove in a little bit longer, which I think we will in the future one, may prove some gaps in what we personally believe on, on um, gun safety and gun control. Yeah, I, am, I look forward to it. Um, thank you for talking. Thank you for telling me your stories, Dad. Yeah, thank you for, for indulging me. We'll talk <laughs> soon. Talk soon. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Bye-bye.